a while ago, we had gone camping uh, with our church. And a friend and I were standing, talking, watching students do whatever it is that students were doing at the time. We were just kind of chit-chatting, just kind of passing time, talking about the weather and different things. And so we're talking and I'm watching the kids and all of a sudden I realize that nobody's talking anymore. And it is very, very quiet. And I'm like, why is it so quiet? And so I turn and I look at my friend and she's looking at me with a pleasant smile on her face. And I'm like, oh dear God, she's asked me a question. And now she's waiting for me to answer the question. And I have no idea what she said. And it was so awkward and uncomfortable because I'm like, how do I say, sorry, I wasn't paying attention to anything you were talking about. Uh, so I came up with something like, I I'm sorry, what was that? And because she's an incredibly gracious person, she just asked me the question again. She was talking. I wasn't listening. My mind had just wandered, and then it got really awkward. And I wonder how often it's like that with God, where God is talking, or we're having some encounter, and we aren't paying attention. We've let our minds wander, we've checked out, and I wonder how often that happens. And I chose this example uh, specifically because I have lots of other examples where I wasn't paying attention to people who were talking to me to end up being really awkward. But I picked this one because her response is somewhat like I think God's response probably is when we're not paying attention. See, we gotta get this out of our head that God is mad at us. And we have to change this thinking that God is just waiting for us to slip up. He's not. I have a feeling that when we aren't paying attention or when we go our own way or when we're not listening, he's probably like my friend standing there with kind of a bemused smile on his face going, if only he'd pay attention, I could save him from a lot of hardship. God speaks to us. God speaks to us. I mean, that's pretty amazing if you think about it. I mean, there's a whole human history of people trying to engage with God, trying to get God's attention. In fact, one of my very favorite stories uh, in the Old Testament is about the prof prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel. Incidentally, I want to go in another couple of years, so if you want to sh save your shekels, you can come with me and we'll stand at the spot where this happened. So Elijah engages the prophets of another God, and one of the things that he says to them is, can't you get your God's attention? Go back and read the story, it's really great. But it, it brings up the, the, the problem for most of humanity that people are trying to get God's attention. We know a God through Jesus who has our attention, who speaks to us, and that is so unusual. So we're going to talk about God speaking to us and how we can listen and listen better this morning. And we're going to do it out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, where Paul writes, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So, Context, because we always want to do that. We don't want to be ripping scripture out of context because you can make it say different things than it does. The context in Ephesians is basically how to follow Jesus successfully. What you need to do in order to live the kind of life that will bring you joy and peace 
that results in following Jesus. So that's the context. And in the context of our sermon series, last week we talked about how God speaks through his word. And the chief word that we're given is God reveals himself in Jesus. And then this week we're going to talk more about how he continues to speak to us. And there's two primary ways that God does that. And that leaves us two tasks that we have to do with these two primary ways. We have to learn how God speaks and we have to learn to listen. The first way that God speaks to us is through the Bible. And if God speaks to us through the Bible, then we've got to figure out how to learn to listen, which means that we actually have to engage with the Bible. And that can be a little bit daunting. It can be a little bit daunting if you're kind of new to this following Jesus Bible stuff because lots of times, you know, the only Bible you may have in your house, if you have one, is maybe one of those huge old family Bibles or maybe you have a paperback copy from when you took a comparative religions class in college or something like that. Or, you know, you just might not even have one. And you probably have heard it's boring. And so it's a little bit daunting if you think, okay, God's going to speak to me through his word. I got to give this a shot. So I understand that. And it can also be a little bit daunting, even if you've done following Jesus for quite some time. And part of that is just because we fall into ruts. So the first thing I want to do is just simply talk about how to read the Bible. And the, the paramount thing you have to keep in mind is find a translation that you can actually read. Uh, you don't have to pick up the King James with all of its these and thous. There are a ton of other Bibles out there. The Bible app has like 300 different uh, translations. And if, if you want something that's accessible, you can read the message. It's got a contemporary English version. I think there's like a modern English version. But there's lots of different things. Find one that has the English that you can understand. And so you say, well, aren't some translations better than others? Aren't some translations more accurate than others? Yes, yes and no. For devotional reading, just pick one. It, it'll be fine. If you want to dive into Koine Greek, then talk to me, and that's when it becomes uh, more important. But just pick one that you can actually read. That's where you got to start. And then after you've found a translation that you like or that you're comfortable with, read something appropriate. Don't just start at the beginning, and don't jump in on Lamentations or the Book of Revelation or anything like that. Start with the Psalms. And Psalms are easy because... Um, there's a lot of them. Most of them are short. They're prayers, uh, and it's really easy to get into. Another great place to start is the book of Proverbs, which is right after the book of Psalms, and there's 31 of them. You could read like one a day, and they are pretty accessible. If you want to get into something in the New Testament, read the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark was written as a drama. It carries you along as if you are reading a good novel. It's all about action. So those would be some places that I would start if you're brand new to the Bible reading thing. If you've done this for a while, then what I would encourage you to do is stretch yourself. Get into some parts of the Bible that you might not normally read. Normally I'd recommend the Minor Prophets because they're my favorites, but we went through them last year. But why not try the book of Daniel and get into that? Or read Romans in one sitting. It'll take a while, but you'll be able to follow Paul's argument instead of just seeing it in chunks. And you, you can do that. You really can. So if you're just starting out, 
find something accessible. Get your feet wet. If you've done it for a while, stretch yourself. The next thing is make it a habit. You've got to get into it regularly. And so in order to do that, find something that works for you. Do it in manageable chunks. If you know that you've got five minutes, then take five minutes. You don't have to feel like you have to read the Bible for 30 minutes. If you don't do what you will actually do. So manageable chunks. For instance, reading one proverb chapter a day, one for each day of the month. And if you do that, it will make you wise and it will also help you develop a, uh, a habit. Find a devotional guide. Uh, right now we're in luck because we're all going through Rooted and there are daily Bible readings. And so that's gonna help us develop the habit of regularly getting into the Bible. And if you want something else, I'd be happy to give you recommendations from some really good historical stuff to some online stuff that is very, very current. So let me know how we can help, but you gotta get into it regularly. It's like if you wanna be a runner or a swimmer or if you wanna diet and you only do it once a month, it's not gonna do you any good whatsoever. So it has to be regularly. Once you begin to develop a habit, what I'd really encourage you to do, and this might be even scarier, is I would encourage you to begin to memorize it. Now, you don't have to memorize the Book of Romans or something like that, but you can memorize individual verses. Like Psalm 119, 11, and I have this in King James, sorry, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So in contemporary English, it might be something like, I've hidden your word in your heart so that I don't sin. And it talks about what happens when we immerse ourselves, when we memorize God's word, is that it helps us grow, it helps us develop, and it keeps us on the right path. Hiding our words, hiding God's word in our hearts lets us draw on that during difficult times. And truth be told, we're all hiding something in our heart. You know, we are putting something in that then fills our hearts and our minds up. It might be lyrics to songs. Um, I'm not good with lyrics. My kids know the lyrics of every song they have ever heard. Uh, and sometimes that might be it. You know, lyrics are hidden in your heart. Other things might be hidden in your heart. We all listen to something and that gets inside of us and we become like the thing or the person we listen to the most. And the stuff that you have instant recall of is probably the stuff that you've hidden in your heart. And the way that you react shows what's hidden in your heart. So uh, most of the scripture that I have memorized, I did to get discounts on camp. Uh, we could get scholarships when I was in high school. And I still remember those verses and I still call them to mind. Important stuff, learn to memorize it. Then read it together with other people. This will save you from a lot of craziness because you can pretty much make the Bible say anything you want it to, if you take it out of context and if you don't check in with other people. I mean, think about this. If billions and billions of people have read the scriptures over 2,000 years, the chance of some brand new doctrine getting dropped into your heart is pretty slim. That's why it's good to read together so people can go, that's an interesting insight, but have you considered this? We serve as a corrective to one another, but we also gain insights from one another. It's one of the joys of doing a Bible study is that you can hear what the other person is thinking. Mark Wilson and I regularly talk about the passages that we're gonna preach on, and we both enjoy the interplay because we think about different things and we share different things. 
And reading together can create this, this wonderful experience. Uh, one of my fondest memories is when I was in high school, my best friend and I were at camp one summer, and every morning during free time, during devotional times, we would take our Bibles, and we would walk up on a hill above the camp, and we would sit on a rock overlooking the lake, and we read through the book of Daniel together. It's a little Bible geeky, I know that. And it's very possible that some of the stuff that we came up with might have been heretical. I mean, we were high schoolers at the time. But having that shared experience of figuring out God's word and how it applied to us was one of the richest experiences of my life. I just talked to my friend the other day. He's like, oh yeah, I remember everything about that. Read it together with other people. And then expect God to speak to you. You might even offer up a quick prayer to start. Something like, hey God, I'm going to get into the Bible. I pray your Holy Spirit will speak to me as I read. And that can set you up to be able to listen to what God has to say. It's important to note in this passage that God's word is referred to as the sword of the spirit. In other words, it's the spirit who empowers it. The sword doesn't belong to you. The sword belongs to the spirit. And so it's the spirit that's going to enliven it and empower you to understand. And I want to split a hair here for just a second. I mean, all scripture is inspired by God. The Old Testament, the New Testament, it's all profitable for reading and instruction and correction. But a specific point is being made here in this passage. It's not really talking about the word of God as the whole Bible. What Paul is really referring to is the gospel message. The Greek word there is uh, rima, which usually refers to teaching or prophetic utterance or more specifically just to the gospel. And so what Paul is saying is that the gospel message, God's word in and through Jesus, made alive and powerful by the Holy Spirit is what equips us and empowers us for life. There's power in the message of Jesus. God speaks to us through this powerful gospel. And he reminds us through the gospel that there's forgiveness and restoration and a better way to live our lives. And then we're commanded to arm ourselves with that, which shows some volition. We have the, the sword of the spirit. We have God's word. God will speak to us. We've got to take it up. We've got to pick it up and actually read it. God speaks to us through his word. That's some ways to engage with that. The second way that God is most likely to speak to us is prayer. And it's kind of interesting because we usually think of prayer as us talking. And it is that. But it's also how God talks to us. Paul says that we should pray in the Spirit. Just like the Spirit makes the Scripture come alive for us, the Spirit comes alongside us in our prayers and speaks in and through us. The Spirit will tell us how to pray. Uh, not in some, you know, weird way. It's generally not like a great list pops out of the sky and hangs in front of you, or a voice literally says to you, now pray for this. But when you open yourselves up in prayer and invite the Holy Spirit in, stuff gets dropped into your mind. I I'm amazed at how often people just come to mind, and I'm aware that I have an opportunity to pray for them. And, and sometimes it's just a nudge. It's the sense that God might be calling me to do this thing. And oftentimes it's the Holy Spirit. But here's the caveat. Generally when you feel like God is nudging you to do something or the Spirit is telling you to do something, it's generally a positive thing. 
If you have a confrontation and you come loaded for bear and you say, I feel like God is telling me to say this to you or do this thing to you right before you unload on someone, let me gently suggest that that's probably not God you're listening to. Oftentimes, you can tell whether it was God by what you leave in your wake. The Spirit speaks to us. The Spirit gives us a nudge, but it's almost always a positive thing. When we put ourselves in a position where we're paying attention to God, God generally speaks to us. Pray in the Spirit. And then Paul says, do it on all occasions. There's any number of ways to pray. There's lots of ways I like to pray. I like fixed prayer. I like morning prayer, noontime prayer, evening time prayer, bedtime prayer. I love the cycle of the hours. That's for some people. It's not for everybody. For, for me, it helps with rhythm. I like to, play when, to pray when I run. Uh, some people listen to music. I just know I've got 35, 40 minutes and I can just pray. I also use time when I'm standing in line as a time to pray. And you'll be amazed at how many options there are during the day to just connect with God and to check in for a moment. I mean, our whole lives can be a prayer that we offer up to God. Pray on all occasions, Paul says. And then he says, pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. There are, there are prayers of praise. We can thank God for answered prayer. We can thank God for what he's done in our lives. We can praise God for the glorious sunsets and the trees and the rain and the flowers that are growing in my garden out behind the church. So that we can thank God. We can pray prayers of praise. We know about pray, prayers asking for things. That's certainly a part of prayer. And we can pray for global issues. We can pray for the needs of the world, for people that we'll never see but we know have issues that are important to God. And incidentally, that is entirely the reason why when we gather for worship on Sunday mornings in person or online, we have a pastoral prayer. It's to pray pastorally. It's not because the pastor does it, which hardly ever happens here, actually. The pastoral prayer is to lift up the concerns of God's people and the concerns of God. And oftentimes what we're trying to do is pray through big issues so that you can have words to pray. And maybe, you know, Sajin or Mike or Verna will be saying something and you'll be sitting there and go, oh my gosh, that gave me words. That's how I would have prayed. Or they bring up some place around the world and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, I need to be praying for that. And so that's why we do that. And sometimes it gets long. I understand that. But it's important. I, I can't see getting into the middle of the pastoral prayer and go, sorry people in Haiti, but the prayer's getting too long this week so we can't get to you. Or sorry about your grandson, but people are getting a little fidgety, so we're gonna put a tail on this thing. The prayer is really important because it helps us to seek God and to lift up the things that God cares about. Next, Paul says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Be alert for opportunities to pray. Pay attention. Don't just ignore that person who was talking to you like I did. Don't just ignore God. As you wander through your life, as you're busy at work, as you're in school, as you're doing everything that you just do, pay attention. Be alert to the nudging of the Holy Spirit and don't miss an opportunity to pray. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed is that for whatever reason, when I'm feeling distant from God, 
One of the things that I regret most about that is that it keeps me from praying for other people. And things will drop into my head and I'll feel like, oh yeah, I really need to pray for that. So what do you do with that then? God speaks to us through the scriptures. God speaks to us through prayer. And he calls us to pray constantly, uh, to pay attention, to be alert. So how do you, how you put that into play? So let's say you serve on a board or you're headed to a staff meeting or whatever, a group of people, and you know it's going to be rough. Pray about it ahead of time. Ask God for peace. Ask God to change hearts of people in the room. Ask God to change your heart. Ask for patience on your part. Ask for the ability to be gracious as you deal with people who may see things very differently from you. If you know that someone that you disagree with is going to present that disagreement, pray for them. It's almost impossible to pray for someone and hate them at the same time. Use it as a spiritual discipline. Or maybe you're walking into the exam room to see your next patient. Pray for the patient. Pray for the anxiety level. Pray for God's healing. Maybe you're getting ready for the school day to start. You're a teacher and you're waiting for the students to come in. Pray for your kids. Go through a rotation. Pray for their families. Pray for them to learn. Probably a lot of you already do this. But pray. Think about all the interactions that you have during the day. You don't have to take 30 minutes. You can take 15 seconds and pray because you never know how God will change the situation and you never how God, know how God will answer. I, I've got endless uh, examples of how I've prayed for things and the outcome turned out different. Could it be a coincidence? Yeah. William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury during the early 40s, said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. It's a great quote. And then I love Paul's emphasis, always keep on praying. It's basically, he says the same, he could have just said always pray or just keep on praying, but he emphasizes that it has to be done constantly. And you can do that in any number of ways. Make a list you know, in your notes on your phone. Jot down things that you want to pray for that day. Um, put a reminder on your mirror about people you want to pray for that week, or put it on the dash of your car in the middle of your steering wheel. But find ways to remind you to pray for the things that are important to you and the things that are important to God. So these are ways that God speaks to us. But there's something else that's going on here. There's an invitation God wants us to participate. The beginning of this passage, which I didn't read, starts with put on. And then Paul says take and keep. And those are all action words. The passage is an appeal for us to jump in on what God is doing in our lives and in the world. And when we stop listening to other influences and start jumping in and listening to God, we get changed. And when we get changed, we begin, at least ideally, to change the environment around us. And that's part of God's plan. Changing us, changing people around us, changing the world, all with the gospel. So let me ask you three questions. The first is, who are you listening to? The second, what one thing can you do to listen better to God this week? And the third, how can you pray more intentionally this week?